after the curtain. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, Romulans, chickens, and things to episode zero of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We are here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Jarman? They are, of course, the Muppets and Star Trek. My favorite being Star Trek and Steve's favorite being the Muppets. We'll be doing one-to-one reviews of the Muppet show and Star Trek, the original series. And we are in luck because both of these shows have unaired pilots. That's right. That's why this is episode zero, the unaired pilots episode. We are matching the other episode zeros. <laughs> yes. And technically, Muppets uh, had kind of two unaired pilots, the uh, the That's Valentine right. special and sex and violence, believe it or not, which I was so surprised by. It was named that because um, at one point a producer who turned them down said nobody would watch a show with puppets, even if it was called sex and violence. <laughs> Is that really how it happened? <laughs> something, it's something to that effect. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> So, yeah, and then the episode zero for uh, Star Trek is called The Cage. The Cage. And now it's actually available on Netflix. Uh, you can watch the original pilot. It's actually not remastered like the rest of the show. So it, it's very, we'll talk about it later, but very dated. Authentic. Uh, and for the Muppet shows, if you want to follow along, they are available on YouTube. You can find them there. Yeah. These two pilots. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the Valentine's Day special. More so about that one. Yeah, that's more of the. Yes. What we're talking about today. So uh, we're going to go ahead and first and talk really briefly about the plots of these episodes uh, so we can kind of guide you through what happened if you can't watch them. Um, and do you want to start first with the Muppet show? Yeah. That special? Uh, Wally, the writer, director, has writer's block and wonders out loud to, about the nature of love. Mildred, a purple long-faced Muppet, remarks that love is a simple thing, which leads into the opening musical number. Love is a simple thing. Mm-hmm. You get introduced to the cast of characters. You got Rufus the dog, Droop the green crackle, which is from an old Christmas special they did. <laughs> uh, old man Brewster, Crazy Donald, who later became Crazy Harry. That's a blow For whatever up guy, reason right? he's called Crazy Donald. Yeah, the guy who blows things up. Gotcha. And Kermit shows up. Uh, and then you get introduced to the fact that there's going to be a guest, and that is Mia Farrow. She takes a verse, the song wraps up, and Wally continues to ask the people around him about love. Uh, first Droop, who wallows in self-pity, and then George the janitor, who wants nothing to do with love, and then finally Mildred and Old Man Brewster, uh, and then Old Man Brewster chases off Mildred with a flurry of sexual harassment. Yes, a lot. Uh, Kermit tells his story of love and breaks into Froggy Winnicorton, um, in which he falls in love with Miss Mouse. He has to fight a giant rat, and then she ends up running off with some guy on a motorcycle. Uh, this is, and uh, just fun fact, this is the first time you get to see Kermit ride a bicycle. It's difficult to do for a puppet, guys. Wally introduces Mia Farrow entering. Uh, her and Mildred discuss motherhood because at the time she was pregnant. Mia receives a Valentine's Day card, which then evolves and morphs into a musical number between Mia and a huge blue monster called Thog, called creepy. Real Live Girl. It's a lovely number. But creepy Mia and Rufus the dog have a nice little scene about the kind of dog she wants at the end of which she realizes that she wants a dog, but only if it's like Rufus. It's a real sweet moment. Uh, 
Wally then ponders about what love is like on other planets. We get Kermit and his reporter get up uh, at the planet Coosbane watching a crazy alien mating ritual. Uh, back to the house, Mia asks George the janitor about love and makes him realize that he loves his mop. <laughs> yeah. And this leads to the closing number, I've Got Love. Uh, as the credits roll, we get to see the cast say goodbye to Mia, including some extra characters uh, such as Ralph the dog, Ernie, and Bert all make appearances at the end for whatever reason. Yeah, because Sesame Street been on uh, for a while Matt before this, up. right? Oh, yeah. And Ralph the dog was big from Purina commercials and his time on the, uh, I think, like the Jimmy Dean show. That sounds right. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, they were bigger celebrities than anyone on the screen at that point, except for Kermit, probably. <laughs> right. That's good to know. Um, and that and that is the end of the Valentine's Day special. So, German, uh, what did you think about this episode? Uh, I have to admit, this felt very slow to me. It felt like a very compared to the Muppets that we've seen in the past, because uh, Steve and I have gone through and watched all the Muppet movies again recently. And the movies are more fast paced and that kind of thing. And there's a lot of slow songs and mm-hmm. a lot of scenes that went on a little too long. Uh a lot of editing they could have done, like people left the set and they were still focusing on empty chairs for a while and then finally cut away. You know? So I feel like it might have been a bit rushed. I don't know. Maybe you have some background. On I that. don't know. I feel like they learned a lot of lessons um, because they had only done this stuff in like small structure or behind a stage on a talk show or behind a stage and, uh, you know, on SNL. Uh, but to, to fill a set with Muppets, this was really the first time that they had attempted to do this for like a big commercial thing. They'd done some Christmas episodes before this, but if you look at the scale of them compared to this, this is something very different. Uh, okay. That makes sense. Um, Bigger so budget. The thing I, what I like about this is that you can feel a lot of the building blocks that would become the show. Yeah. Musical numbers, uh, even, celebrity guests, even the set, you know, the main character's desk down front, you have a staircase leading up so that you have multiple places to play action. You've got a door to have a get like all these things do carry over to the Muppet show that we eventually know, love and understand. Um, it's just everything's really crude. If you it yeah. feels like <laughs> very much so, um, but like opening musical number sketch musical number with the guest, uh, you know, other sketch, you know, nice moment between host and or character and you know, in this case, it was Rufus the dog and that really nice back and forth they had. But later in the Muppet show, that would typically become a one a one on one with Kermit and the guest. Typically always Kermit. Eh, not always. Like sometimes uh, if it was a comedian, uh, Fozzie would come out and they do like a comedian back and forth sort of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, Miss Piggy would come out and talk to a diva. But most of the time, if it was a little bit more like gentle and sentimental, it was Kermit. Yeah, another thing I felt was that, and especially after watching the sex and violence special, which you can talk a little bit more about later, uh, this one wasn't very funny, like purposely so. I don't think they were trying to be very funny at many points. Like it was cute, a lot of cute moments, but it wasn't, there weren't a lot of jokes, especially weren't a lot of jokes geared toward adults. So I feel like they're still getting their sea legs, figuring out what their audience really was going to be. I don't know. I I disagree. They had a lot of jokes that wouldn't fly now. Maybe, but. Um, Old man Brewster, when he starts falling asleep. Uh, with love comes grace with grace come he falls asleep and mildred wakes up and she goes what about grace he goes grace was always great at hugging and kissing yeah <laughs> come here grace my name is mildred that's close enough like, I, I did chuckle like, at ah, that point <laughs> ah, uh, um so i i don't know if i 100 percent. well i guess in comparison that being said 
right. that for adult humor is another thing that carried over to the Muppet show. Like they weren't just looking to attract a young audience. Yeah, exactly. And I think the sex and violence special, which you only saw 10 years ago, to be fair. Uh, I just <laughs> yeah, watched, like a decade ago. But it, it was a lot funnier and snappier and had a lot of kids jokes and adult jokes. And like it's it was a lot just, more tangent, tangential too. As it I felt more it. like a Monty Python flying circus episode because it went all over the place with a lot of different yeah, sketches. Not everything's connected. Yeah. Yeah. Very free form. But it was a lot more funny moments in that one. And this, this one was more sentimental, I feel. What's OK? It's a, it's a Valentine's special. So I guess it's supposed to. Um, and I think it's funny that in both, both this and, and uh, sex and violence, uh, they, they tried to put other people up front as the host. And I thought that yeah. was interesting, but you realize why Kermit was the right choice. They tried twice with somebody else. And I'm like, no, Kermit's the right fit. Yeah. Wally in this one. And I think it was the conductor in sex and violence, right? Uh, I didn't catch his name, but like the band conductor though. Oh, must've been. Yeah. But- yeah. Yeah, he didn't, um, he didn't show that he was the bank conductor. And, and they put Kermit in this, and he was a peripheral character. And the reason is is because uh, Jim had actually gotten slammed a few years earlier. Um, he used Kermit in a, a TV short he did called Hey Cinderella, which I, I love and used to have on VHS way back when. And he got hit in the media uh, for what it was seen as exploiting a, a Sesame Street character. How, oh, because it's from Sesame Street. Because okay. it was Kermit. Like that's, that's, that's what people knew Kermit from at the time. That people didn't sense. know Sam and friends. People knew Sesame street. And so he really got dinged for it. So he was really hesitant to put Kermit in the forefront of any of the shows, but eventually he came to his senses. Apparently good. People loved him from then on. Oh yeah. Um, but thing, there are some things I really did like the froggy one at Corton is something that you could find on the Muppet show. Mm-hmm. I think I like that one. Uh, even real live thog, like especially in the early Muppet show, which, you know, we'll eventually get to, they weren't afraid to do like slower, sweeter kind of musical numbers. It's just that the, the big <clears throat> puppet thing, thog, he yeah. is very creepy to me. <laughs> yeah. They put him in that, that's that sweater with the heart on it, but I'm not sure that quite. <laughs> yeah. I was watching uh, my girlfriend and it's like, this whole thing just feels really creepy. I don't know why. <laughs> um, and, and and honestly, I think the best part of the entire thing um, was the the scene between Rufus, the dog, and Mia. That was the cutest. Yeah, that was the cutest. Her part. saying that she wanted you know, it's all these kind of different dogs, uh, maybe something fast, like a greyhound, and he shows up as a bus driver <laughs> or an elegant dog, and suddenly he has a top hat and a monocle. <laughs> like, that's all very Muppety. <laughs> yeah. But at the end, when she's like, I don't know where I'll find that dog except for maybe you or something like that. And he was just goes, yeah, I don't think I want a dog unless I can have a lot dog just like you. Yeah. And the girlfriend went, Oh, that part. So it, it worked. It was very cute. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I thought was, I kind of brushed over it in the summary. Um, but the uh, Kermit, the frog on the planet Coosbane mm-hmm. is just so fun visually to watch. It was, I thought it went on too long, but it was, it was cool. Yeah, they probably could have cut one of those three like mating things. Yeah, though comedy comes in threes, so maybe that's what they were aiming. Or make at. each one of them a little shorter because there was a lot of build yeah. up and it went on for a while. But it was very cool um, visually for sure. But the Galio hoop hoop and then them exploding at the end and and everything done via visuals and then Kermit randomly chiming in with report. Well, it was once again something that could have been found on the Muppet Show that eventually was. I think. Yeah, I could agree with that. A lot of elements here from both. The Valentine's special and sex and violence. They kind of met somewhere in the middle. Um, 
uh, and I feel like yeah. the, the detriment of this that they eventually fixed um, is that they were like, well, we want to do a variety show, but we don't want it to be a variety show with the Muppets. And so they did this thing where they're in a house and for some reason a guest star comes to their house. Yeah, it's like Pee Wee's Playhouse kind of thing going and on. And they do musical numbers for no reason and cutaways for no reason. And I think eventually someone just said, let's just make a variety show mm-hmm. with the Muppets. Like, I think I feel like that's what they finally figured out is they didn't need to disguise it as something else. Yeah, agreed. And then the sex and violence one, which, let me just recap really quickly. There's not much of a story. Yeah. It's just basically they're trying to make a show out of the seven deadly sins. So each seven deadly sins shows up at one at a time kind of throughout the episode. And finally, they put on a show at the end with all the seven deadly sins. Um, but there's lots of little unrelated sketches throughout. So it really does feel like a Monty Python uh, show or like SNL where it's just like skit, skit, skit and a little connecting tissue throughout. Um, so the difference being yeah. Valentine's special, you're right, is confined that one house. It felt kind of stilted and the sex and violence a little too much over all over the place. And then they kind of mix them together to make what the Muppet show became, which I think, well, what right. I think and, it became, and, I haven't and, seen it yet. <laughs> you're right. With the popularity of Monty Python, SNL and things like laugh in, which were a little bit more tangential and jumpy and sketchy. Right. Not sketchy in that sense, but sketchy in the fact <laughs> yeah, that they, they had sketches. Sketches. <laughs> sketches. Um, <laughs> I, I think that, that maybe that's the model they went after. Like you're, you're absolutely right. And so they kind of found their own thing with the variety show. You're right. And just like, let's embrace this. Yeah. Let's make it happen. But I think it's a good first entry. I'm glad it, was, it didn't end up being the Muppet show. <laughs> right. It would have been a little too. It would have been too boring for me to be perfectly frank. Um, so I'm glad. Oh, no, they, absolutely. Um, and audience members, in case you don't know, I didn't mention this earlier. I have never seen uh, the Muppet Show, so I'm, it'll be my first time going through this, seeing these. And Stephen, as far as I know, has not seen the majority of the original series episodes. Not the majority. You know, I used to have a coworker who really loved it, and so when we were doing like unboxing and processing and stuff, uh, she would have it on on mute. <laughs> okay, gotcha. That's you know, so visually, I might recognize some stuff, but you know. <laughs> You know, aside from I think I watched at least one or two episodes in review for the A Play on Nerds podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. And I've seen the movie. So like culturally, I understand who characters are and races and stuff. I've got some context. But that's about it. That will help. That will help. Uh, and we might but have the same to, thing. You've got context to the Muppets. Yeah. I've seen the movie. So I have context of that now. So that's good. <laughs> and I've watched Sesame Street when I was a kid. So that helps. too. So we're not going in unarmed. I think is what we're saying. All right. So we do want to move on to the, the Star Trek. Yeah. The Cage. All right, Jarman, so tell us about The Cage. Yes, The Cage is the unaired episode of Star Trek that uh, you could find on Netflix starring uh, Captain Pike, not Captain Kirk. This is a different captain that you'll see in the new iterations of Star Trek and also in Star Trek Discovery. So it's important to and watch this episode. To him they do. A bunch of times throughout all through a bunch of the shows. That's very true. And he's also on those other shows. So it's really cool. Right. So The Cage has us on the Enterprise with Spock, Captain Pike, and number one, who is the, the female first officer she only has the name number one you'll recognize her from other star trek later on as well but that's the only original cast members you'll recognize um and they get a distress call to save some people that uh, crash landed on a planet called talos so they go off to discover what this is all about um captain pike and spock and number one a few others go down to investigate they find this little uh Little shanty towns made by these people who crash landed there a long time ago. A lot of old people in rags. And they also find one beautiful woman. And they tell him that, oh, she was a baby when we crash landed. And now she's only, you know, she's the only young person among us anymore. So she gets interested, interested in Pike, takes him aside to this cavern area, which she wants to show him. And meanwhile, 
We pull out and we see that uh, there's an alien race in this cavern watching them doing all of this. And they, they look very interested. They have these giant brains and veins in the side bulging and everything. And at that moment, they make all the colonists disappear. It was all an illusion. The shanty town's gone and all the crew is just there by themselves. And at that same moment, they pull down Captain Pike into this cavern and they shove him into a cage. Basically, he finds out that he is in a zoo. All these other cages have different strange animal races and monkeys and bird people and terrible costumes. Um, and suddenly he's transported again in, with this woman, this beautiful woman that was there to parts of his past. And she's trying to get him to like her and ignore the fact that he knows he's in an illusion. And meanwhile, on the ship, they're freaking out, trying to find out what happened to the captain. They're trying to blast their way into this cavern and it's locked off and they can't get in. And the captain knows it's an illusion. He keeps questioning this woman about what's going on. And she eventually starts to tell him that these people have uh, this zoo here. And if you go against them, they will put you in extreme pain. So you have to listen to everything they tell you to do. And they want her to fall in love with him and have children so they can populate the humans amongst their zoo. So eventually, Captain Pike finds out through his anger at being captured uh, that these telepathic aliens that can make these illusions, they can't read your thoughts if your anger and primal instincts kick in. If there's something primal emotions happen, they can't read your thoughts. So he's, he keeps that in mind for later on. And meanwhile, the, up in the Enterprise, they find a way to beam in a few of their crew members. So they beam down these two women that get into the cage with them. And... Then the aliens are like, oh, you can pick three women now to choose to mate with and populate the humans in. And of course, he doesn't want to do that. And then when they're all sleeping, one of the, the big headed brain aliens tries to feed him some food and he rages at them and grabs his hand and pulls them into the cage with him. And he tries to use the phasers that they, they beam down with from the Enterprise and they seem to be not working. But he realizes, oh, this is all an illusion. He's like, I just shot the phaser at that wall. I bet it actually worked and I just can't see it right now. Let's see the same thing works on your head. And so the alien finally shows him what's really happening. And he really did blow a hole in the cage. So he's able to escape. Uh, they, they take him out to the surface at that same time. The brain aliens are searching the computers on the enterprise up above and they learn the whole history of the human race. And they find out that humans don't like to be captured. And their worst thing they could possibly do to a human is have them in captivity. Go figure. I think everyone would probably hate that. Um, <laughs> so they decide to let the humans go and they want to take the beautiful woman with them. But they she tells them that she actually was horribly injured in the in the crash and the aliens tried to put her back together, but they'd never seen a human before. So she's all disfigured and everything. But he was just being hidden from that with the illusions the whole time. So she wants to stay. And so to make her feel better, the uh, brickhead brain aliens decide to give her a copy of Captain Pike as an illusion to stay there with her forever. And then Captain Pike goes back up to the ship and flies away. And that's the end of the cage. It's <laughs> best I could do it. So what did you think of this episode? Had you seen this before, Steve? No, I had not. Oh, I, gotcha. I knew that it existed. Only because like one of the few trivia things I know is like, did you know that Spock was one of the only like, yeah, that's one of the few trivia pieces I knew. Right. Uh, so I knew it existed, but no, I'd never seen it. Gotcha. Uh, I thought that that most of the crew was a throwaway. Yeah. To the point where even Spock was kind of a throwaway. Very one-dimensional. If anything, number one uh, was the the most well-rounded of the rest of the cast, realistically. That's true. Um, 
so I'm glad that they kept her on. Spock, I know that the Gene Roddenberry specifically wanted to work with him because they'd worked on something called Lieutenant before this. Uh, the, the Lieutenant, yeah. The Lieutenant. Uh, and he wanted him involved. And then not only that, but he argued with the producers that he wanted an alien on the bridge. Because at least an alien, because even this pilot, there's no people diverse diversity at all. There's all white people. And then suddenly Spock, who's also a white actor, right. but <laughs> he's an alien. Uh, so like, I'm surprised they even kept him over, but everybody else was a complete throwaway. The doctor, like, they tried to make kind of important in the like, beginning, but the doctor was okay. He didn't fit in the show. No, he belonged to like a, a Western or something. Him and Pike couldn't both be the dark and brooding presence. <laughs> yeah. They just couldn't be. Um, so the, the fact that a few people survived actually even surprises me. Yeah, it really does. Uh, I like the idea of the zoo. It's something that I think has been revisited multiple times through a lot of different shows of, oh, we're in a giant zoo or we're on in a cage for people's display. Even Orville did uh, it recently. Right. Um, so th- that aspect I liked. I like the brain alien. They really overindulged some of the... Somebody was really proud of that, like... Uh, the, the bulging veins. The, the bulging vein effect <laughs> in the head. Someone was way too proud of that because they showed that shit for like four minutes of the entire episode with <laughs> bulging head. Way too many lingering shots, yeah. Way too many lingering shots. Uh, I'm glad that stylistically, by the time Star Trek went, that they had changed things mm-hmm. um, straighter lines, less like I'll say decorative. Cause there were some of the doorways they came through on the spaceship. And I was like, why the hell would a doorway on a spaceship look like that? <laughs> yeah. Th- those sort of things. Um, I, and they rounded out the cast in the new show that just fell flat in this one. I think they learned a lot from this show. Yeah. Dynamic <laughs> cast members that were all different in a lot of ways and interesting in their own way. Um, it did follow kind of the idea of the A plot, B plot. That's true. And by that, I mean the captain's doing something important. What's the rest of the crew doing? Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, I'm not going to say most of what I've seen, but most of what I've seen is the A plot is what's the captain doing in the B plots. What's the rest of the crew up to? Yeah, that's usually pretty accurate. I mean, yeah. when you get into Star Trek Next Generation, they do have uh, other character centric episodes. Right. More There's frequently. a Riker episode, an majority episode. Yeah, but yeah, original yeah, series, you're right. It's what's the captain doing? What's the rest of the crew doing? <laughs> what's everyone else doing? Um, a lot of the extras, I feel like, had no business. <laughs> like the, the one thing I remember about like the other Star Treks is that people are doing things all the time and moving and checking and changing dials and stuff. I there was the the guy with the big forehead, the short guy with the big forehead, just stood there. <laughs> Staring blankly at nothing every time he was on camera. And the last end shot, he does that too. He just walks up and stands there really awkwardly. Like, what is he doing? Yeah. Um, so I think they learned from that because that looks so weird. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Awkward. Um, I thought the teleporter effect was on point. Yeah, they pretty much kept that same one for the original series. Like, that was That was great. It was weird that they kept starting them in darkness, but I'm sure that was to sell the effect. Right. Uh, but it was just too long with it too. Um, yeah, I, I think this, this did a lot right. And, and sort of like Valentine's show, you can kind of see the structure, the, you can kind of see the, the frame that they set up for what eventually became Star Trek, the original series. Instead of dust off, repaint and kind of focus in a little bit. Yeah. Um, I liked the, that, you know, 
even back then it was about doing things a smarter way. You know, Pike getting angry and then realizing he could use that against them. And not just be angry for anger's sake, but using it for an intelligent reason. Yeah. Right. And that even, uh, you know, the blonde woman who, you know, was effectively a villain for part of it. She was an agent of the villains. You know, you even had sympathy for her. Even the big brain guys at the end, you had sympathy for them because that, that, you know, Pike was their last hope. Yeah, that's true. No one's like a full on just evil villain. Right. So even at the end, they weren't, you know, really villains. And that's actually sort of a hallmark of um, the Muppets as well. At least really Muppets is that even the villains aren't really villains. Or at least they don't think they are. Right. But they're people that have been through different circumstances or have different ideals, but they're not like evil for the sake of being evil. Yeah. That's true. If anything, in the new movie, the uh, the Muppets, the one with um, Jason Siegel and Tex Richmond, that's the one thing I didn't like is they cut the scene that explained why he hated the Muppets so much. Oh, that's right. You're talking about that. And so because of that, it was just like, oh, he just hates them and is just evil because he's evil. Makes it more boring, really. Right. Makes it more boring. Um, so in that respect, I, th- I thought that was nice. Oh, good. It was yeah. about like the gray area. It's kind of like, it just needs to speed up kind of like with the Valentine special It needs to speed up and like cut it down a little bit, polish some things up and um, to make it more entertaining. Yeah, I feel like they didn't have enough scenes written. And so like, okay, so we need you to use this giant laser to try to shoot the door. All right. How long is this scene? I don't know, like four minutes. Just try to use the laser. So So try it again. And this time just turn more knobs. And make more explodey little effects. For and five you more turn minutes. and look at them and say, it's still not working. Okay. Do it right, again. Film it. <laughs> right. I just feel like, I feel like there were, the, the, you know, there was missing five scenes. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and maybe that's also what they learned as far as developing more B plot. Yeah. Knowing how to construct developing a show that. properly for that time frame. Yeah. Um, but I think it did a lot of things right. I think it also stunk for a whole bunch of reasons that I think they fixed for the show that we're eventually going to talk about. And I guess we'll get to that for the next episode. That's right. So, uh, so Jarman. Yes. This is going to be tough. Let's talk about similarities. Well, we did talk about some of those already. I think the similarities in uh, structure of like the pacing and stuff, they had similar issues. Um, as far as content, not a lot of similarities we could point to. <laughs> uh, I disagree. Oh, oh, you have some. I found, I found a bunch. Oh, I like it. Like more than I would have thought, actually. So both, as you mentioned, had different lead right. than, than the show that eventually become. That's true. Uh, beautiful women appear out of nowhere while an audience watches on a television screen. <laughs> Very good. Uh, one of the old guys on the planet looks like old man Brewster. <laughs> old man Brewster. Uh, Pike was tricked by someone who ended up not being a real live girl. Uh just like just like the song Real Live Girl. <laughs> he wasn't tricked. Uh, he kind of was. <laughs> uh in both both uh the, there's discussion of people making babies and forming families. Uh, yeah. Uh p- both feature people blowing holes in walls. <laughs> Uh, and then in both the female guest leaves with a new man in her life, both of which aren't real. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> okay. Now the game is on. I now see the level of detail I need to go into for these episodes coming up. 
That is amazing. Oh, I mean, because you're right. Like on the surface, these have nothing in common, but no, I love it. That's why it's much more fun to, dig, to Absolutely. dig down deep. You really got to dig down deep. Yeah, I really found more than I would possibly think I was going to find. <laughs> Those were pretty good. <laughs> I know. Um, so yeah, more in common than you would think between uh, uh, Muppets Valentine's uh, Day Special and the Cage. Transporter now function. Transporter malfunction. And so I just I asked Jarman to to think about this and sort of prepare an exercise. And I asked him if he had to take one character from this episode, the Muppet Valentine's Day special, and put them into the cage. <laughs> and I had to take a character from the cage and put it into the Muppet Valentine's Day special. Who would it be and why? So I actually did prep uh, first characters from the Muppet specials into the, the cage. <laughs> okay so for that one i have mia farrow she would play the yeoman the one that okay, he yells yeah. at a lot she's younger and she's kind of just I'm innocent in a light voice uh and then the weird alien telosians would be statler and waldorf statler and waldorf aren't in this episode no they're in the sex and violence one that's why i did two. Oh, okay got it got it okay i see <laughs> oh no the tail that's what i was like the telosians would be statler and waldorf in sex and violence right right so that's my back and forth there. <laughs> so I think that you could have taken the the two of the brainy aliens and put them in Coosbane. Oh, the alien planet. The love on other planet. And instead of it being this big mating ritual, it could have been something more cerebral. Just them playing chess I will pick or up this rock to show you my physique. And then the other one goes, as expected, I am impressed. <laughs> Now you will show me flaring of your nostrils to initiate sexual relations. I will do so. Like, I think that that would actually be very funny played out because that's something that the Telugians did throughout the episode was sort of narrating their expectations of the behavior of their subjects. That's true. There's narrating everything. They're recording it or something. And so I think, you know, them narrating what would also be a mating ritual, just very different. could be a very funny juxtaposition. Yeah, I could see that. Also, I think uh, the the barbarian dude could play animal in sex and violence, but yeah, <laughs> probably yes. <laughs> that monkey, guy, monkey guy with the horn. Yeah. <laughs> that terrible costume. I, I didn't notice it, but uh, my girlfriend was watching and she's like, you can see his eyes through the eye holes. <laughs> like yeah, you can through the actor's eyes. Absolutely. Big old eyes. They're like, this is terrible. <laughs> so there we go cast in reverse kind of <laughs> that brings us to the end of episode zero of the muppet trek podcast join us next time for episode one of the muppet show with special guest star joel gray and original series episode the man trap so from the lovers the dreamers and us live long and prosper everyone thanks for listening to the muppet trek podcast Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. We're in a menagerie, a cage.